The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. This is Squawk Box. Uh, let's focus on the markets. The Dow falls more than 700 points and the Nasdaq posts its first decline in nine sessions. U.S. daily virus cases hit a peak not seen since April, with California logging over 7,000. The IMF lowers its forecasts for the global economy, saying GDP will now fall nearly 5% this year due to the pandemic and warning on the state of public finances. It's hard to make up that big hit. Uh, and even if you look at two years later, so by end 2021, uh, for the US numbers are still below the pre-crisis levels. Well, crude prices add to Wednesday's sharp losses after US stockpiles rise to record highs, the spike in virus cases also hitting demand expectations. German drug giant Bayer says it'll pay almost $11 billion to settle hundreds of thousands of US claims over its weed killer Roundup after years of disputes over the product. Let's focus on this spike in cases then. The US has recorded nearly 35,000 new COVID-19 cases in one day. That is the highest level since the number peaked in late April at 36,000. Experts from the University of Washington have predicted deaths could rise now to 180,000 by October. California logged more than 7,000 infections in one day. That's a record number for the state. And that represents a 69% jump in two days as hospitalizations also rise. Governor Newsom warning citizens not to get complacent, saying some people had, quote, developed a little amnesia and taken their guard down. He's made wearing a face mask mandatory in public. Florida also reported a record rise in daily cases of more than 5,500. That takes the total in the southern state above 109,000. Several cities and towns have now issued mandatory face mask orders in the absence of a statewide policy. Disney has postponed the reopening of its theme parks in California, originally scheduled for July 17th. The company says it's waiting for approval from government officials. The delay comes as Disney workers in Florida urge local authorities to reconsider plans to reopen its Orlando site due to a recent spike in cases. The media giant welcoming visitors, though, to its Hong Kong and Shanghai parks earlier this month. Apple has shuttered a number of stores in Texas due to the virus resurgence in the state. The tech giant had reopened stores following nationwide closures that began in March, but it's now temporarily closing seven Houston area locations, following similar moves in Arizona, Florida and the Carolinas last week. New York, New Jersey and Connecticut have imposed a 14-day quarantine on visitors traveling from nine other U.S. states 
that have high infection rates. In a joint press conference, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo outlined details of the new measures. Infection rate formula will be 10 per 100,000 on a seven-day rolling average or 10% of the total population positive on a seven-day rolling average. So let's take a look at the uh, the market performance then. And this is how we wrapped up the session here. And um, consequences, consequences, something that's always worth bearing in mind, depending on what action you're going to take here. And one of the stories I didn't mention uh, as we uh, prepared to come over to the market wall was one that the Washington Post is running. Dozens of Secret Service officers and agents have now been told that they must self-quarantine after President Trump's Tulsa rally. That is, individuals vital to the security of the president who will no longer be in situ. No doubt there are enough security officers to go around, but it just reminds us of the consequences of actions that are taken and what they ultimately mean further downstream. And what we're seeing with these markets here are a couple of other consequences coming to bear. One is obviously what is going on with coronavirus. The other is the long tail effect of what is happening with the furlough schemes and companies going out of business. And we're beginning to see the hard data and, of course, adjustments to forecasts around that. The IMF story is one we're going to dwell on, but they're now talking about a near 5% reduction in growth for the global economy. What other news to discuss? Well, Qantas is shedding 20% of its workforce. And of course, we are seeing um, the analysts who are getting very ebullient about the current quarter that we've uh, experienced because we've seen the S&P and other markets significantly higher that we are now getting the analyst notes just shifting subtly and talking about the stay at home plays. You don't want to focus on these airline and travel stocks anymore even though that was the mantra earlier earlier in the week. We're now moving away from those uh, uh, more attractive travel stocks as they were when we thought the lockdown easing would be straightforward and now you want to spend a bit more time refocusing down on those stay-at-home companies. So uh, the market flip-flopping as you can see as we get these uh, big volatile days um, uh, in terms of uh, sectors and performance. And so there you go. Uh, Cause or effect, you make up your own mind, but Delta, United, American all down very sharply in trade yesterday as we had a pullback day. Let's have a look at uh, some of the other stories. Uh, so we've got a, um, a split here, as you would imagine, although spot gold perhaps not benefiting quite as much as you might expect from some of this uh, pullback on uh, buying equities. Uh, the news flow around oil um, wasn't uh, good for the bulls that have chased it up to near $40 a barrel here. So we just eased back 37 dollars or so for the WTI quote and Brent just hanging on to 40 
We should uh, just take a look at the Asian markets as we consider the uh, legacy of trade coming into uh, the European session here. It probably is worth pointing out that um, you get a holiday today in Hong Kong and uh, I think the Chinese markets for Dragon Boat Festival. So enjoy that and don't drown. But elsewhere, if we look at the market performance around Asia, as you can see, generally mirroring the tone that we had coming out of uh, the United States. Um, and we've popped up this Nifty 50 board here just for you to have a look at, just so that um, you are aware that there are some areas of the market, there are some pockets of uh, global equity markets where there is some interest and some buying at this point. So as I think we always stress, um, there is always some uh, risk on activity somewhere. Your job and our job is just to try and help find it and take advantage of it before that window closes. Let's come back then to the IMF announcement. The uh, body has once again cut its forecast for the global economy, warning the pandemic is causing more damage than initially thought. The fund now sees global GDP contracting 4.9% this year, having estimated a 3% downturn in April. Growth is expected to rebound 5.4% in 2021, but this is weaker than original projections. The IMF also warning deficits will grow as governments launch fiscal stimulus programs in a bid to curb the damage. Speaking to CNBC, the IMF's chief economist, uh, Gita Gopinath, detailed the growth outlook. It's hard to make up that big hit. Uh, and even if you look at two years later, so by end 2021, uh, for the US numbers are still below the pre-crisis levels. Also, it's important to keep in mind is that when you take a country with lower per capita income getting hits of this kind, you know, that's a big increase in poverty uh, for these countries and for the world. Uh, Gita Gopinath there with us from the IMF. She also warned about the economic dangers caused by a resurgence in the virus. The question is, of course, whether we might have a big second wave. And we have looked at that scenario, which is what if there's a big second wave. Now, that's a case where global growth is going to be then pretty much close to zero in 2021, as opposed to 5.4%, which we are projecting uh, now. Let's, let's bring in uh, Penilla Henneberg, uh, who joins us, economist at City. Uh, good morning to you. I've heard um, well, this described as a handbrake on growth expectations coming out of the lockdowns, uh, Penilla, How would you characterise the new information we've had in the last 24 hours and how investors should be digesting the messages? So it's clearly a, a very negative situation we are in for the global economy currently. We are also expecting a deep uh, recession, slightly less so than what the IMF uh, is saying. Uh, but one of the things that the IMF is highlighting is this high degree of uncertainty about the recovery uh, into the second half of this year. And what we are focusing on here is whether we will have a V-shaped or U-shaped recovery. What we have in our projection now is a V-shape. So we have seen the most recent data being um, uh, positive, there's been a bounce, but it's too early to say that you can just extrapolate that into second half of the year, and there could be bumps on the road, uh, implying that it will be more of a U-shape. And there are plenty of uncertainties that could move us from 
what looks like a V-shape into what could become a U-shape. And that includes uh, second waves, it includes um, weakness in trade activity, business investment and financial market uncertainty. Yeah, I mean, forgive me for being cynical, but I'm struggling to find the new information here. I mean, we've we've come an awful long way through the quarter. We've come an awful long way with the risk on trade through the last three months here. A lot of people technically feel that we are due something of a pause or a pullback before we enter the summer. I just wonder here, when did bad news become bad news? Because bad news generally has been taken by the market to mean more fiscal stimulus, more monetary support. Yeah, so I think there has been a bit of a divergence between what market uh, pricing has been showing and what we have actually been seeing in the fundamentals. And such a divergence will not be persistent forever. Uh, so we would require some uh, actual valuation uh, being a little bit better than what was in the markets. Uh, and we may be getting towards that. Uh, as said before, there has been uh, some positive news uh, on the data, but you cannot only look at the, uh, the change in the data. After lockdown, you will obviously see better data when the economy is reopening. Uh, but there is still a fear of catching uh, the virus among um, many populations, it's above 50% of the population that fear getting the virus. So that is having an impact on the behavior. And it's important that we see business investment uh, picking up somewhat because that is crucial for employment to increase and hence support uh, consumer spending. How do you discriminate between uh, regions, economies and opportunities, Penilla? here? Because we, we look at those countries like Sweden that took a different approach say to neighbor Denmark, but we don't really see different consequences economically at this point. Are we just going to have to come to terms with the fact that because of the nature of this virus and the fact that we're not actually getting through the first wave to even worry about a second wave, we're going to see lower economic activity for a whole lot longer this year? Yes, I think it comes back to this fear of catching the virus that is really shaping the behavior and will continue to shape it as we still do not have a vaccine. A vaccine is necessary, but not a sufficient condition for uh, consumption to pick up. And consumption will be the key in terms of getting us back to some sort of normalcy. Uh, So a vaccine uh, is required. We're seeing the U.S. um, being uh, affected now by outbreaks on the virus. The U.S. and China uh, are some of the economies uh, where we have higher growth forecasts than what the IMF has. Uh, And they are obviously very big shares of uh, the global economy, just counting for 50% uh, roughly. Uh, which, when you just look at the GDP shares, uh, but the interlinkages uh, across the economies probably makes the share even higher. Uh, so second waves in these countries is going to have big implications for global growth. Sounds funny on a day like today with the markets and the uh, growth forecast to be talking about inflation, but I know you've been doing some work on that. And I know for our audience who take a longer term view, inflation protection is relatively cheap at the moment. So now would be the time if you take a view that it is coming. Um, Is it coming? And if it is, how far away is it? And if it isn't coming, why not? So I think the speculations around why inflation may come now uh, reflects that we have uh, all this stimulus coming from the central banks. Traditional macroeconomic theory says that if there is a boost in money supply, that is going to be inflationary. 
But we have tried this before. We saw after the global financial crisis that the central banks were boosting their balance sheets and it didn't lead to the expected increase in inflation. Uh, so I think it's the same situation we are in now. This is not a different uh, situation from the inflation perspective compared with the global financial crisis. So it will be a long time before we see inflation picking up. And in the near term, there are definitely downside risks to inflation from here. Uh, but as you say, markets are not really pricing uh, higher inflation. So there could still be potential for pricing in uh, higher prints. Good to see you. Thanks so much for joining us at this hour. Penilla Henneberg, the uh, economist uh, with us from City. Uh, let's move on. Bayer striking a landmark agreement in its Roundup case. We'll have details on that story next. Plus, if you want to keep in touch with all the market reaction as the US records a spike in virus cases and how capital markets are responding to that, Go and have a listen to the Squawk Box podcast. Nothing finer if you're on a dog walk or just at a loose end. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, the Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse. EasyJet aims to raise up to £450 million with a new stock offering as the budget airline looks to boost cash flow. The share placement was oversubscribed after being priced at a discount to Wednesday's close, according to Reuters. The UK carrier also reported a wider first-half pre-tax loss of £353 million and said it could not give guidance for the rest of the year. Qantas will cut at least 20% of its staff and raise up to $1.3 billion in fresh equity as the Australian flag carrier struggles to cope with the decline in travel. Will Caloris has more on the story for us. Um, Will, to what extent is this a surprise? I had the sense that um, Qantas was communicating with the market and we pretty much knew that the business was uh, about the right size. Is, is this going to take people by surprise? It, it did take a few people by surprise, Jeff. You're exactly right on that front. There, were a, there was a little bit of chatter around the market that something big was on the way, but it wasn't expected to see such a big strategic review undertaken by the airline. This is 15 billion Australian dollars of cost savings they're looking at over the next three years. Now, in terms of the numbers, when you break down that 15 billion, some of it is just due to the fact that they aren't just they aren't going to have that much travel going on for the next couple of years. So you've got 6 billion when it comes to fuel savings, obviously with no flights, 4 billion when it comes to the incidental costs of not having to operate their airline. But it really comes down to the amount of staff that they are looking to make redundant, that 6,000 staff, that's going to provide them with quite a significant cost benefit even after this three-year strategic plan. At the same time, even for the next, say, 12 months or so, they're looking to continue on the stand-down of those 15,000 
staff currently so around about 2,900 pilots, 6,900 cabin crew because they're not engaging in travel. And it gets interesting when you think about it in the context that a lot of people were expecting the flights internationally to reopen at the start of 2021. Basically, what the CEO, Alan Joyce, said is he doesn't see any kind of international travel from Qantas until at least July next year. So they're not going to be making any money on that front. And at the same time, they've basically said that 100 of their fleet, their planes, are basically going to be grounded for the next long while, at least the next 12 months, obviously because of that international travel not being there. But also there's some deferment of the orders that they had from Boeing for the 7879s, the orders that they had from Airbus for the A321 plane. So it really does set up an interesting situation for Qantas. And now when you look at it from the context of the Australian market, which is where they're hoping that they are going to see some kind of bounce back, that domestic market and domestic flights, which is such a profitable engine for them as well, Jeff, it gets really interesting because we've also had those increased instances of COVID-19 here in Australia. Victoria actually, the state of Victoria actually had its worst day in terms of new cases. So this is putting a little bit of a spanner in the works in the domestic side as well. So it's going to get really interesting to see how effective this can be and how the market, of course, is going to react because they are asking for equity at the same time, that 1.9 billion Australian dollars that you did mention. So a very interesting day for Qantas tomorrow and hopefully we do see some support perhaps for all of those staff that are affected in the form of increased wage subsidies as well, Jeff. Yeah, and uh, Will, I, I just wanted to talk about um, ABC as well and throw that into the mix here because, you know, there's more about uh, jobs being lost in the economy. And as I understand it, Scott Morrison took a bit of heat over the fact ABC is going to shed 250 jobs here. I mean, are we getting any sense from the government about where any new opportunities in the economy are going to be for these wonderfully talented people from Qantas and from ABC and elsewhere who are losing their positions? See, that, that, that's the big issue right now. Obviously, they've engaged in a lot of extra funding, extra stimulus, but a lot of it is on the infrastructure side. A lot of it's on the construction side on these shovel-ready projects that they have really pushed for. If you want to just look at the ABC, for example, this is not basically localised when it comes to the ABC in terms of journalism. We've seen a swathe of the big media organisations here absolutely shedding staff over the past six months. Perhaps that $250 million that he did basically engage in today in terms of the, the arts community as a whole could be of some benefit, but not really so. That then brings the question, Jeff, whether or not we are going to see any further support from the government, because as you know, those wage subsidies, they cessate at the end of September. So a lot of people are questioning because all of these people that are basically left without a job, how are they going to get that further support from the government? So this is something that is very closely watched. We haven't really had that much word from the government when it directly relates to the media organisations. It's just basically been a matter of that's what is expected with the less advertising revenue that they are indeed getting. So it's a big question and hopefully the government does come forward with some answers relatively soon. Will, thanks so much for the coverage. Will Kaloris joining us uh, with an update on the stories out of Australia. Uh, Lufthansa's biggest shareholder is today expected to approve the German government's 9 billion euro rescue package. Billionaire investor Heinz Hermann Thiele told Germany's Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung newspaper he will now endorse the bailout, having previously criticised Berlin's plan to take a 20% stake in the airline at two 
euros 56 uh, cents per share. Uh, Tilo's criticism caused fears he would veto the deal and plunge Lufthansa into insolvency after the carrier grounded its entire fleet due to the pandemic. Authorities in the Philippines say Wirecard's ousted COO may be in the country after German police issued a warrant for his arrest on Wednesday. Jan Marcelek is wanted in connection with the accounting scandal that has engulfed the German payments business. The Philippine Justice Secretary also said authorities are investigating Wirecard's missing 1.9 billion euros, which was initially believed to have been held at two banks in the country. This before Wirecard said the money probably never existed. Wirecard shares sank another 28% on Wednesday and are down almost 90% for the year. Bayer has struck a $10.9 billion settlement with plaintiffs in its Roundup weed killer case, prompting the CEO, Werner Baumann, to claim the company's long period of litigation and uncertainty is over. The German chemicals giant said the deal will settle around three-quarters of the roughly 125,000 claims it inherited in its takeover of Monsanto, which claim the glyphosate-based product Roundup causes cancer. The mediator in the case said the remaining 25% of suits are not set to go to trial and will be settled over coming months. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.